Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Twin Cities Church. My name is Lawrence. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, it's just, it's great to be with you this morning after uh, a great holiday kind of weekend and week, depending on how long you had off of work. We're here in the midst of the, well, not the midst of, we're at the end of our series on Jesus and the kingdom. This will be my last week out of Matthew. Next week will be George's last week out of the book of Mark. And then the following week will be a combined service right here where there'll be open mics and uh, baby dedication and a feast to follow provided by the church in El Burrito Mercado. So mark that calendar. That's going to be a, it's really a, it's a fun Sunday to have this whole kind of auditorium packed and then to be able to eat together and, and thank God for the, for the work that he's done in this last week, in this last year. If, if you've been with us for a while, we're in the midst here of the, or at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we've come to the conclusion, but we need to kind of make sense of things. We need to make sense of the words that Christ has given. This last week in our house church, we've been reading through Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller, and he gave a great illustration uh, from Alistair McIntyre that really helps to fit as we're trying to make sense of things. So Al Alistair McIntyre argues that everybody needs a story to make sense of reality, that you have to have a story to fit your experiences in, otherwise you can't really live unless you connect it to a story. And he gives the example, right, of if you're just on a street corner and a random person comes up to you and just tells you, right, like the common name of the duck is Hermonicus, 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 and then walks away, right, it doesn't make a lot of sense what just happened. And as the illustration goes, he said, right, you, you have to create a story to make sense of what you just experienced. Right, like, okay, either this man is nuts, and he just came up to me, and maybe he does this all the time, right, and then that helps to make sense of what you just experienced. Or, right, maybe this man has mistaken me for a man who asked him earlier in the day, what's the common name for the wild duck, and that's why he came up to me. Or maybe he's a spy, and this is the code word to test me to see if I'm really, you know, that we have to put things, we all have these experiences every day where we have things in our life, the things that we do, the things that we hear, and the only way we can make sense of them is to connect it to a story. Like it has to be part of some narrative. There has to be some point to our life. There has to be something that I can tie my experiences to in order them to make sense of them. I think that's really true for Christ here. You know, how do we actually make sense of Jesus? How do we make sense of these words that he's given us? Right? As we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and as we've gone through this for the last several weeks, right, he has just kind of blown the doors off of reality. If you really take Jesus at his word, right, he just shows up in human history. This carpenter from Nazareth comes, walks around, and just tells everybody, look, you don't have to live the same way anymore. Everything's changed. Everything now is different. The whole world is turned upside down where the poor are elevated and the rich are brought low, where the poor in spirit are blessed, where the power structures of the world have been undermined. This world in which we now can live with new identities, with new families, with new hopes under a good king and part of this kingdom, like, who is this guy? It's not that much different from the man just walking up to you and telling you the name of a duck on the street. Who is this guy who can claim these things 
And who can say this in such a way that we're supposed to believe him? Right? That this world, we don't have to live in fear anymore. We don't have to live in selfishness anymore. That I don't have to earn and make something of myself. Who is this man right, who could say this to us? We have to have a story to be able to make sense of Jesus. Otherwise, he just becomes another teacher. Or even worse, someone who promises something that he can't deliver on. Right? But how do we make sense? And the story that we need to connect Jesus to, we need to connect him to the story of the Bible. And if you haven't studied the Bible with much intention, you can easily kind of miss the overarching kind of narrative of Scripture. But we have to be able to see this broader story that Jesus is a part of. A story in which God created a good world, a beautiful world, a world in which we were created to live, to enjoy, to love one another, to experience that love of God. Peace, right? That's what we were meant for. And we have those longings in us. All of creation has that longing, that imprint, that shadow, that feeling of wanting unity, wholeness, to love and to be loved by somebody. We know what we were made for, but we also know that we can't fully grasp it, that, that things have gone wrong in this world, that the story took a turn, that while we were created for wholeness and completeness, for love and for unity, due to our selfishness, right, we've ripped apart this fabric of the peace of this world. Because I've, I'm selfish, because I turn everything back to myself, the only result is death and violence. The whole world has been corrupted. And then we have Jesus, who ushers in a new age and a new way of, of living, a new hope for the present, and he guarantees what's to come. And that what we experience now is not the ending of the story. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Isaiah chapter 65. If you don't, if you don't have them with you, we will have them on the screen. I want to look at the ending of the story. Right? To be able to make sense of Jesus, I think we have to see where the story is going. And Isaiah does a great job of this. The book of Revelation does a great job of this. George will be preaching through the book of Revelation in January, right, where we get to see the ending. But here in Isaiah, we get a picture of the end as well. So Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. Sorry, the text is small on the screen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in, in vain or bear children for calamity, 
for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with me. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. You get these promises. You have these promises everywhere through Scripture. It's not just Isaiah. And even in Isaiah, there's multiple pictures of this final city, this last day when all things will be created. But we have these promises all the way through the Bible that one day there will be peace. That one day right there will be joy. That one day there will not be this weeping. That our labor will not be in vain. That the work that you do will not pass away. That lives will be lived to the fullest that there will be joy and there will be a fullness to life with Christ as the center. There will no longer need to be a son because we will have Jesus with us. But this, this hope and this life is all the way through Scripture. And then here, when we get to the Gospels, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, any of them, right? we get to this picture of where Jesus shows up and he promises the same things. But rather than just promising them in the future, Christ shows up and promises them to us now. Right, the way that Jesus speaks, the way that Jesus talks to us, these promises that he gives us, he, he speaks in a present tense. That this is, in fact, the way things are now. That sin and death no longer have power over us. That the powers of this world have been subverted that we now get to live in hope and in peace, that through his death and his resurrection, right, we now have new identities, new families, new names, right? I don't know if you've been baptized before, but that's what that is. It's a naming ceremony, right? I now baptize you in the name of the Father. Like, I have a whole new person because of Jesus. I have a whole new family because of Jesus. I have a whole new way of living because of Jesus, because of this man who came and who taught, who died and who rose, all of reality has been changed forever. And I now can live in a different way. The walls of hostility that kept me apart from God, but also from my neighbor, have been broken down. I have access to people now that I never did before. I can love people like I never could before. I can be in community with people that I never could before, all because of Jesus this present hope that he gives us, the king has come and he's called us into his kingdom. And then he's called us to live in that reality, right? He, he calls us, he tells us this good news of the gospel, right? That he is the king, that all of us have access to the kingdom, that we all can live in this hope and this peace, this joy, that we can have this way of living. And he calls us to live that way, right? Jesus' commands, and that was what we left off with in the ending of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, right, if, if you're wise, just do what I say. It's easy. Just, just follow me. Love God. Love your neighbor. We have a calling. He has claimed us. He purchased us. He rose to give us life. And then he sends us out into this world with such a purpose, with such a calling to love others, to love God together, to be this 
countercultural small band of brothers and sisters that will be taking part in his redemptive work in the world. To be part of, as like Dallas Willard says, this grand conspiracy that we're working as part of a conspiracy to overthrow all the evil in this world that's so present that's all around us. That he's called us to this. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity gives this wonderful analogy. You know, he's writing in the midst of World War II, but he gives this picture of, you know, imagine you're in Nazi-occupied France and you hear the good news, right, that the Allies are coming and they've called you, right, to take part in the resistance now. That's us. The true and rightful king of this world has shown up. He's told us what's going to happen. He's given us the hope. And he's given us a job to do. And we do it. We work. And I, together in these communities that subvert the evil around us, that take part in what God is doing. And when you hear the gospel for the first time, or again and again, right, as we keep hearing this good news of who Jesus is, the true king of heaven and earth has come to earth and he died in my stead and he rose to give me life and he's given me a calling and a family and a purpose. It's exciting. Right? It's exciting. And we respond to that calling in a lot of different ways. And initially, the, we respond with excitement. I did. <laughs> you probably did. The first time you kind of really understand who Jesus is or you hear the good news of the gospel, or who this man really is, it's exciting. There's a thrill to finding out who the real ruler of this world is, this inside information. And then to be called into his family is exciting. To be given a purpose is exciting. So we work, and we work hard. For me, growing up evangelical, you know, that was going on missions trips or taking part in whatever it is I need to do to please my king, you know, but we work and there's excitement to it. There's fruit that comes, right? There's, there's all of that excitement. But then as we've been going into Christianity for a while, right, you also know the cycles that happen, how there's excitement and there's fervor and you're working hard and you're excited to be part of this resistance and this counterculture and all those things. And then, though, that there's, there's pain. There's pain and there's suffering and there's rejection that comes from following after Jesus and being part of this. And even though I believe in the king, right, we still experience tremendous loss. If it's the loss of an unborn child or of a born child or of a loved one, the loss of jobs, health, wars, oppression, injustice. I mean, it just, it, the world piles onto us. As we've been working hard and faithfully laboring, uh, you just get beaten down on a broad scale, on a personal level, and we go into these kind of spurts of hard work or of laziness, you know, and then hard work again, and then laziness again, right, of this, my work really matters, I'm going to work hard for Jesus to then, I, uh, you know, I don't really need to do much, and we just keep going and going. And so our experience, we live in this time in which it's hard. Jesus promised us, right? He promised us that life doesn't have to be this way. He promised me that I could live in him. He promised me a new identity. He promised me hope. He promised me that love would win over fear. 
that the light is more powerful than the darkness. He promised me these things. And he called me to work for him and to be part of this grand conspiracy and to be part of his side that the rightful king of heaven and earth right, is going to set up his rule on earth. And I want to be on that team. Right? He called me to it. But the problem is, right, and the problem with stories We all need stories desperately to make sense of our life. But the problem with stories is that we put ourselves at the middle of the story. Whatever stories we hear, we quickly put ourselves at the very center. Every story becomes our story or becomes about us. Every story turns into a story where I'm the hero. You know, if you read, if, you're, if you love to read stories, and I hope you do, if you don't, you should start reading more grand epic stories. You know, fantasy genre is great for these epic stories of, you know, all this, of heroes and all those things. But it's hard when you read those stories to not put yourself in the story, to not want to be the hero, to not want to be the one who's always working and earning and claiming things. And when we hear these stories, when we hear these things, when I hear the words of Jesus, when he tells me these grand promises, I have to make sense of it. Right? When we hear Jesus say things, like he told us in the Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are the poor in spirit, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, love God. Okay. I can do this. Right? i got to have a framework in order to make sense of Jesus' words to me. And the framework I make, the story I tell myself, revolves around me. And it revolves around the life that I think I need to live. It revolves around the life that I want to live. And so I make a story. And I do it. Where I'm the hero. I'm the protagonist. And I've got to work hard. I've got to earn it. I've got to make it happen. I've got to turn my cheek. I've got to bless those who curse me. I've got to pray for my enemy. I got it. I got to do all these things, and I got to do it. And then I go in spurts, right? My story gets old because I keep cycling around where I go and do things, and then I get lazy and I stop doing things. The problem with, our, with stories is that our, our stories are too small. Right? Like think about your story. Think about the story of your life. Think about that story that you tell yourself that makes your life make sense. Like, what are you doing? What are you after? What is the story around your life to explain why you've made the decisions you're making? What's the story to help you make sense of why you parent the way that you parent? Why you do the jobs that you do? why you're part of this church, why you do anything in this world. What's that story that you believe in? What's the story that repeats in your mind that gives you hope, that helps you keep going? What's the plot of your story? <laughs> right, every good story has a plot, right? meaning there's the ups and the downs. What's the obstacles that you face in life that you feel like you need to, get over, you need to overcome? Right, who's the antagonist? Who's, who are the people who are fighting against you in your story? Who's the hero of the story? 
And what would happen, right? What's the grand ending to your story? Right? What's the happy ending at the end of the story that you've been after, that I've been after? Right, my happy ending, right, is a, is a family that's pretty happy. <laughs> and it's like, you kind of look back, take a step back, like, well, my happy ending is really not that great. Your happy ending to your story is too small. Like, what do you hope to accomplish? What are you striving for? Right, that's what the wisdom literature in the Bible have always been telling us, right? Like, everything you're working so hard for is ultimately going to pass. Like, what's that great, big, happy ending that you're going to succeed in? You're the hero of the story. Well, what are you trying to get? Is it really that great of an ending? Will it really last forever? Will people sing songs of your great ending? No. Our stories are so small. They're so puny. Like, what what is it that I'm doing? What is it that I'm working so hard for? Does it really matter in the end? Jesus comes into humanity, right? And he gives this promise of life. But he also gives us this freedom that comes for being part of his story. Because what if, what if, I wasn't the hero of my story. What if you weren't the hero? What if you had a role to play? But what if there was a broader story that was bigger than your life? What if there was something bigger to this world than just your personal happiness? What if Jesus came not just to make you happy? What if Jesus came not just to teach you? What if Jesus came to connect you, to bring you in to a story that was far bigger and greater than you could have ever imagined, that had a bigger ending than you can even think of? What if Jesus was the protagonist of the story, the hero, and not you? What would we do? How would I live if I'm not the hero in my own story? What if the glorious ending of the story was already secure? What if the hero already won? What if my life was being used as part of this story? How would we live? Right? How would you go about your life? How would I go about following Jesus if this wasn't my story? Right, how would I go about living if I was not my own hero? If the ending to my story was already secured, what would I do? How would we live? Well, we would live right, with so much more confidence. Right, we would live with so much more confidence knowing that the ending to my story doesn't depend on me. The ending of my story doesn't depend on how well I work in this life. I would live with so much more love. Right? Knowing what has been done for me. Understanding how small I am. Right? There's great 
joy that comes from knowing the smallness of us in a broader story. You know, if you, if you look at this, I don't know, I love camping, I love going outdoors and things like that, and I, think a, and I think a lot of the world does. And even if they don't like to camp, everyone enjoys a good vista, a good view. Everyone enjoys feeling small, seeing something bigger, seeing something that's been there for thousands and thousands of years, standing in a spot, right, and all of a sudden you just feel tiny. It's an enjoyable feeling. Why? Because we're desperate to not be the center of our life. We know it's not fulfilling. We know there's got to be something more to this. It's in those moments where we feel small, where we feel like we're able to love the most. We're able to feel these, this joy. We're able to have this humility, right, that leads us to care for people, to love others. It leads us ultimately to rejoicing. The story of the Bible, the story of the gospel, the need to be connected to what Christ has done, it leads us to sing. It leads us to tell great epic stories, to rejoice. If I have a story to tell, there's no greater gift and if I can tell the story, a bigger story than the one that I'm living right now, now I can feast and sing and rejoice no matter what's going on. If things are going bad, I can weep. Right? I can weep. I can honestly feel the pain and the hurt and the disappointment of life, while still looking towards the dawn, right, knowing that this is not the end of the story. And if I'm experiencing victory, if I'm experiencing a great win, if I'm experiencing blessing and joy in life, I can celebrate without guilt, without condemnation. I can openly rejoice but also re recognizing, right, that I haven't arrived at the final destination yet. Knowing that we're part of a broad story helps to free us from ourselves, to make every story about me. And it ultimately then leads me to sing of the praises of the one who has secured this great and epic story. And knowing the end of the story is just such good news, right? If you look at Isaiah again, or if you look at any of those passages, right, these, this idea, right, God saying here, like even in verse 18, I will be glad and rejoice forever with these people. The former things won't even be remembered. Oh, what a day that'll be. When that hardest part of your life will barely be a memory, right? It'll be like, I can't even remember that. Like, it, you know, the analogy I like to give, I just remember junior high was hard for me. But it's like, as I move far and far away from junior high, you're like, I don't even, I don't even remember what I wore that first day of school, right? 
That'll be the worst day of your life. That'll be the worst years of your life in eternity, right? In the New Jerusalem. Like, I can't even remember. I mean, I remember it was bad. But I can't even quite, I can't get my head around. I can't even think about it anymore. What was it that was so hard? What was that season like? What was that like? I can't even think about it because it'll be such joy, such rejoicing. I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will be glad in my people and no longer will there be the sound of weeping. No more shall it be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. There will be no more the shortness of life but there will be a fullness to life. There will be a completeness. We won't labor in vain anymore. Right? What we work on, what we build, what we do will last. That's what Christ promised at the Sermon on the Mount. Right? If you do this in my name, if you build on me, it will last forever. There will be no more futility of our work, of our efforts. It will last. It will endure. And the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. They shall no longer right, hurt or destroy there will be a day, there will be a day in which that shalom of this world, that fabric of peace and completeness will be restored. And we long for the day. We're eager for that day. Like we sang, right, there will be a day in which those wedding bells will ring and all people will be brought together and we will feast and we will weep no more or we will be together as one and there will finally be the completion of all things the restoration of all things and we live now in this now but not yet we live now in a time in which we experience it in part but one day we will experience it fully this is what's coming Christ's promises are not untrue he's going to deliver on his word not to get completely nerdy, but I'm, I'm going to quote from the Lord of the Rings. So we were quoting from it quite a bit in House Church, and it's just, that got me going. Samwise Gamgee, right, at the end, talking to Frodo, right, says, you know, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo's, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy, right? You just don't even, sometimes we're in the midst of it, I don't even I don't even want to know the ending because how could it even be happy with the pain that we're experiencing? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. This is us. We know the story that we're a part of. It rings true in our hearts and our longings. And so as a people of God who have experienced Christ, we rejoice and we feast and we sing and we gather together, but not as a people who think we've arrived, right? Which leads to all kinds of arrogance and problems in this world for the church when we think we've arrived, when we think we've made it, when we think we have power and we're in a place of position and influence. No, we rejoice 
and we sing and we feast as a people who have not yet arrived. We weep as a people, right, who also understand and know that the shadow is a passing thing, that the shadow will be gone, that the darkness is passing. Paul in Romans will say, right, let's act like people who are waiting for the dawn. Don't you understand we're one day closer? Don't you understand we're one day closer to when the sun is going to rise? Live as people who live in the light, not as people who live in the darkness, because the sun is just about to crest. It's just about to rise. So let us be people. I think this is what the gospel calls us to. I think this is what Christ is calling us to. How are we supposed to live in this world? As Christ has called us to live in his kingdom, what's a mark of that? How can we live as people who live under the king, who live in this upside-down kingdom, who honor and love people in such a unique way? Let's feast. Let's celebrate. Let's sing of his praises. Let's tell good stories. Let's tell people of his good works. Let's tell ourselves of his good works. Let's remind ourselves of this epic, grand story that we are a part of and tell other people of it. The season that we're entering into right now, and George and I planned this to kind of finish Jesus as we come into the Advent season. This is the first Sunday of Advent. I mean, these are great reminders of an epic story, right, that we are a part of. We play a role. We matter. Our lives matter. My work matters. My family matters. What I do matters. But I'm not the hero of my story, right? There's a greater hero in my story who's secured my glorious ending. And so I sing of his praises, and I look forward to the day, right, when all things will be made new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for everything. We, Lord, we thank you for the life that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that you are mindful of us. Lord, we're thankful for the love that you've shown us. Lord, we're thankful for the work that you are doing in this world. Lord, we're thankful for the ending that you have secured for us and that you've shown us in your son. Lord, we trust you, even though in our weakness we often act like we don't. Lord, we love you, even though so often we love ourselves more. Uh, Lord, we recognize how often we are so selfish and we turn the story into a story of ourselves and we live the life that we think we should live and that will give us the rewards that we think we need or deserve. And Lord, we just praise you for your great patience and love that despite our feelings and our moods, despite our effort or lack thereof, you are still God and you are still working and you are still bringing this world to a perfect, complete place. Lord, we are eager for the day when all things will be made new, when we will feast and rejoice in you and with you. When this picture of your kingdom will be fully here, fully realized, where loving you and loving our neighbor will be as natural as breathing, where we won't even have to think 
about what it means to love people. We, can't, we won't even be able to think about what it means to not. Where we won't have memories of sin and darkness and the pain and the toil that we're in. Lord, we thank you for that day and we're eager for it. Lord, help us, strengthen us now to live in the time that you have put us in. To use the gifts that you've given, the life that you've given us now. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to be a part of your work, that you've given us a task. Lord, that you've, you've let us in to the kingdom now, and we can start to experience it more and more on this earth. So Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen us through your spirit. Strengthen us through your love to choose you, to cling to you, to follow you. Lord, help us. Help us to continue to put our hope and our faith in you as we live our stories and as we connect it to your broader story. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the work that you have done. In your name, amen.